0: It's good to have you back, Leslie. And we all said amen. Amen. (laughs) You know what your filling is, right? (laughs) Double amen. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's take our Bibles this morning and uh, turn to, once again, to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7. We'll be looking at the, I hate to call it the completion, if you will, but the stoning of, or the victory lap for Stephen. I like the last one, the victory lap. Um, Acts chapter 7, we'll begin reading in verse 54, and I believe we'll read through verse 3 of chapter 8 as well. Acts chapter 7, beginning now at verse 54. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God, and saying, "'Lord Jesus, receive my spirit.' And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, "'Lord, lay not this sin to their charge.' And when he had said this, he fell asleep. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church which was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles." And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. May God add a special blessing to reading of His Word. And let us just pause for prayer before we begin our study this morning. Father God, thank You for the day, beautiful, beautiful day of creation that You've allowed us again to be part of. Thank you for gathering us here in this place today as you've brought our life's journeys to this building, bringing the church, Father, together. We would ask that you would especially be with us in these moments, that you would take us where you want us to be, and, Father, that we would be willing and open to your will being accomplished in our lives. Father, we ask that the Holy Spirit would be our teacher today exclusively, that you would speak to us through the Word. Father, that your will... Would be accomplished in all that we do and say. You would be glorified, and Father, as a result, we would be blessed in gaining further and further our relationship with you. We thank you for what you'll do now. In Christ's precious name, amen. Well, Acts has been uh, a book of beginnings, a bridge, if you will, from the Gospels to Romans, or what we would say later epistles of Paul. There's been an awful lot of activity already, hasn't there? Um, If you think about it, Jesus Christ has been crucified, He was buried, He rose three days later, and then He walked the earth for another 40 days. Uh, Upon in Acts chapter 1, it says that they looked up, watching Him leave. I wonder what that was like. I think they said, oh no, (laughs) very, had to be, right? I mean, this is the man, and I say man carefully, uh, he's the God-man. He is the Son of God. He is Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man. For three years, these men had been captivated by, put their lives in trust of. They've watched all of these things go through. And then literally there must have been a hooray moment when Jesus Christ would have risen from the dead and appeared to them behind closed locked doors and said, peace be unto you. That would have been fantastic. And He's leaving. Now what? But He had said before, numerous times actually through the conquest of their three years, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. I must leave so that He can come, the Comforter can come. And they would have probably said, no, we're good with you. (laughs) We're good with you. The Holy Spirit we don't know a lot about. We read about it in the Old Testament. And it seems like we'd be better off with you. And He said, stay in Jerusalem. Something mighty is going to happen. Something mighty is going to happen. And they did. For a short period of time, they were praying, 120 of them. the upper room tells us. And on the day of Pentecost, when all kinds of people would have been gathered in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit did come. Every one of them were indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And things were different. Things started to go crazy. Peter got up and with it. I mean, this is the guy that just had denied Jesus Christ even knowing him even being any part of him just days before and now he's proclaiming it as being the Messiah and laying an unbelievable message out there right and they responded 3000 on the first sermon now that have to be whoa right and it goes on and we see the church flourish flourishing magnificently and you know what happens when God's work is going strong there's resistance Satan will not let that go on unhindered. He, he will bring a game. And persecution began, first of all, pretty mildly. He said, you guys just need to shut up. Just don't say anymore about this man, this one you say, stop it. You just stop it and we're all going to be good here. And they eventually, on a couple of different occasions, said, are we going to obey God or you? And of course, you know what they did. But as we've come to chapter 7, we're now entering a new level of persecution. This is the first martyr. This is the first Christian to be killed for his faith. There's no fooling around now. They, this is business. And Stephen was unfolded, if you will, or risen to you know something we just pop in and look at chapter 7 and first part of 8 i mean what a magnificent man this man was he was full of the holy spirit right he was full of power he was full of things that made him everything that he was but how was he recognized how was he discovered not through a problem it's amazing how opportunities and we call them problems but opportunities is maybe what god calls them In this opportunity that was arisen that the outside, and that's another thing we need to just explain briefly again for those that weren't maybe here in the last couple of weeks, the Hellenistic Jews, those are the ones that would have been scattered, would have been away from Israel, away from Jerusalem, that had come for the Feast of Pentecost, which God knows all this stuff in His providence. And on that day, the first day of Pentecost, and thereafter shortly, they got saved. They trusted Christ as Savior, as their Messiah. And they really didn't go back home. And maybe it didn't have a home to go to. Honestly, you show up, and I'm a follower of Jesus now. Uh, no, you're not here anymore. You talk about excommunication. How easy would that have been? Because just just a couple of months previously, they had crucified Jesus. Now we're not talking 2,000 years to us. It was literally two months. And their sentiments were probably very clear. You don't need to come home here if that's who you're going to follow. We know all about that "quote unquote" blasphemer. So they were hanging around Jerusalem. And of course, the outsiders would have been the ones that probably would have been shunned or not given as much, shall we say, resources to live in a place that they're foreigners. Yes, they're a Jew, but they're a foreigner. They're a Hellenistic Jew. That's the term that would be used. And as a result of that, the congregation, which was probably, I'm going to say, maybe 30,000, 40,000 people already, they picked seven men that were of good reputation that were full of the Holy Spirit. He, Stephen, was one of those guys. And he stood out, didn't he? He was a man that was amazing in the sense of also his preaching ability. It's amazing. In fact, then we found a couple of weeks ago that he, being a Hellenistic Jew, and there was approximately through historical historians in the recordings, there's about 500 different synagogues within the city of Jerusalem at that time. These were for outsiders, if you will. These were people that maybe didn't even speak Hebrew anymore. They had been away from the, from the language long enough. And so this was a place for them to worship. Guess where Stephen went? He being enough. Again, all seven of those were Hellenistic Jews. It wasn't democ- democratically equal you know, as we would like to make things so, you know, so cool and clean and so amazing. They were all outside, probably Greek-speaking. So, he starts visiting these synagogues, names several of them, one of which we'll point out again. You'll see there's a couple of characters that are individually listed, Stephen and Saul. The rest of them were a group of, of the mob that hated Jesus and everything that he taught. They were the religious leaders. But Saul would have been from Cilicia. Tarsus, in fact, let's just do this for a second. Let's go to uh, Acts chapter 22, this is later in, uh, in, the, in the book, and uh, he's making a declaration of who he is, Paul that, that is. At this time he's become Paul, he's no longer Saul. But in Acts chapter 22, let's just take a look at this man that he describes himself um, in his defense. He says in verse 3, we'll just start there, verse 3, I am verily a man which am a Jew born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia... Now, see, that was one of those synagogues that the people were involved in in Jerusalem. So, more than likely, this might have been the first time when Stephen entered into that synagogue to share of the Old Testament Scriptures regarding Jesus Christ as being a Messiah that Paul, who is Saul at that point, for the first time actually saw from the Scriptures that Jesus was predicted to come as the Messiah. And he was all against it. He was a religious guru From the top to the bottom. Let's keep going here for a moment since I had it in my notes later, but it's okay chapter 22 and verse 3, I am verily a man which is a Jew, born in Tarsus, a city in Cilicia, yet brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now he actually had spoken earlier, he's a part of the Sanhedrin. So now you start to see the connection with the religious religiosity. And taught according to the perfect manner of the law of the fathers, which was zealous toward God, as you all are this day. And I persecuted this way unto death, binding and delivering into prisons both men and women. wow. That's who Saul was. Now we find in this passage here today, and even last week, that Saul was probably the instigator of this whole event. Why do I say that? You find last week, in the, in the, I think it's verse 56 or 58, that they literally lay their garments at the feet of this young man Saul. What does that tell you? He's in charge. He has set this up, and probably even would have been a A face-to-face debate, Paul being very accomplished, with Stephen. And Stephen, it told us in the Scriptures, totally blew him away. Because why? He had the Holy Spirit living within him. He was able to say what the Holy Spirit said. And that whole chapter 7 is about that. So, we're introduced to Saul. Now, would you like Saul not if you're a Christian, <laughs> it would have been very difficult. It would have been, in fact, if you were to say, if there's someone that would not be qualified ever, ever, ever to reach Christianity to the outside world, the Gentile world, it certainly would not be him, right? Have you ever seen someone who's so anti-God, so anti-Christian, so out there? He'd say, I don't know if there's any hope for that person. He would be that person. Saul would be that person. Zealous? Oh my! Sincerely wrong? Absolutely. Put them together and you have a havoc, that's the word used in the King James, he was a havoc wreaking monster. He got up in the morning, he ate his Captain Crunch and was going to go kill Christians. He was just on a mission. I don't know what his real thing was. I don't think he was even tent making. Remember later on when he wrote the epistles, he had an occupation of which he could reach out and touch people, if you will. He was a tent maker. I think he was a Christian killer. That's what he did. He woke up doing it. He went to bed thinking about it tomorrow morning. The guy was insanely just zealous to the nth degree. And he and Stephen would have to be. If there's anything we could say about what we're reading to what we read today is the sense of contrasts. Contrasts. I've never seen a wider spread people involved than this sermon and its results. You have Stephen who's full of the Holy Spirit. You have the religious leaders. You have Saul. What are they full of? Hate, revenge, anger. Everything that you could imagine is the opposite of what God's grace and love is. You just can't miss the contrast here. Now, I would like to liken, and we'll see how our time goes today, but um, I was just checking with Laram if he can get it loaded. But at the end of our session today, if we have time, uh, I'll leave it to you. It's about a seven and a half minute clip that will reveal even more in detail that I'm going to share with you but there's, a, there's a, I, was, I was just thinking in the last couple of days an example that would be similar to this. You have Stephen which literally is being pummeled with rocks, falsely accused by false witnesses. And he still looks up into heaven and he says, Lord, don't place this sin on their life. Don't, don't, don't credit it to their account. I'm asking you by grace, don't do that. Now that takes specialness, doesn't it? I don't know. You just—I wasn't there. I'm not there, but I know how the stoning is revealed to us in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, things that had to happen. And for him to do that is amazing. It reminds me of an event that was similar in January that took place January eighth in 1956. There was five men that were trying to introduce the gospel to a tribe that had never really shown anything other than hostilities. In fact, previously, there was the Shell Oil Company, which had tried to go enter into that region, you know, for, again, monetary purposes, taking control, and they were met with resistance. So the government of Ecuador and Shell Oil Company were kind of coming together. We will have to remove those people for your country, Ecuador, and for us as Shell Oil Company to continue doing business. We've got to get rid of that group. They're just too hostile. Now, they were actually hostile within themselves, if you would studied the tribe. They were the Aka, A-U-C-A. And they landed, there's a man, the, the, if we listen to this clip, the, the man that was part of that five was a man by the name of Nate Saint. And his son, Steve, is who narrates this little clip. He was the pilot of that plane on that day, and he had spotted a settlement. He landed on a sandbar on a beach, which they called Palm Beach. As they landed, and there was five of them, and they, were, they had met just briefly with two women and a man previously to that. And seemed to go well. They were dropping gifts off. They were doing all of the things to show themselves to be. In fact, the reason they got involved was, we don't want this tribe to, to be disintegrated. We want them to find Christ. So that's where this all came together, right? There's so much more I could say, but I'm just trying to get to the get to the meat of it. As they exited the plane, they were met with by ten Acha warriors. Long and short of it, they were killed. Jim Elliott was one of those. You've probably heard of Elizabeth Elliot, a book she wrote through the gates of splendor. Amazing. And actually, Nate Saint's sister, Rachel Saint, and Elizabeth, or Betty Elliott. Entered just a few years later into that same tribe sharing Jesus Christ with them. Two, one, one, her brother that was killed, Nate, and Elizabeth's husband, Jim Elliot, who said something that is still, still—it's probably goes around the world, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. That's literally your life for Christ. But the part that's fascinating is Nate's son, who had been born in Quito, Ecuador, just a little bit before that, knew that they had taken the life of his father. And he could not figure out why his aunt, Rachel, and Betty, he called her, Elliot, would even think of going to that place to share the gospel. I'm going to fast forward a moment. This is literally what Stephen has given his life. And Paul is probably the most notable recipient of the pressure the gospel brought so that literally you people are here today because of what Paul did through the epistles of the New Testament. But get ready. Stephen Saint, later in his life, ended up going back to that tribe. And he was baptized by the two men that killed his father. That, my friends, is love. It's not explainable only through God's grace. This is very similar to that story. Stephen poured out his life and Saul eagerly took it. But God used those moments to bring Saul, to make him Paul, to bring us in this room today. That's the providence of God. Praise God, absolutely. Yeah. So let's go um, to to the to the the contrast, I guess we would say. Uh, Stephen has very clearly unfolded the gospel. He's put the he was was accused of blaspheming God. He was accused of blaspheming Moses. He was accused of blaspheming the law. And he was accused of blaspheming the temple. Those are the big four that will get your life. You you will cut your head off. It's over. Or get stoned in this case. And, And by the way, blasphemy, the penalty for that is stoning. I mean, they're following something they have to believe in. But he takes the example of standing again before the Sanhedrin. This is the third time in a few short chapters that literally the Sanhedrin has been witness the gospel from the outside asking the questions, is this true? It's like opening the door. If they would have knocked on the door, so you want to tell you about Jesus, get out of here. They actually asked the question, opened the door, and Jesus Christ is reverberating through this Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of Israel, opening, the, opening it up for them to really see again once more, one more time, that Jesus is who He is, to see the truth one more time. I don't see a lot after this. Religious leaders, they rejected, 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 rejected. How long will our leaders in the United States reject the Lord Jesus Christ? That's nothing to mess with, is it? I was reading, we'll not go there, but in Exodus it talks about Pharaoh and the 10 plagues. Moses had asked to leave And in chapter 8, I believe, of of, of Exodus, it says that Pharaoh hardened his own heart a couple of times. And at the end, it was God hardened Pharaoh's heart. I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. (laughs) No one wants to be on that side of it, ultimately. And what I see here is rejection, rejection, rejection. We go back in the Gospels, they rejected Jesus, they rejected Jesus' teaching, they rejected, they rejected, they rejected. What were they rejecting? The truth. That's what's happening today. This isn't. This isn't new information. It's happened back then. It's the same today except how long will we reject the truth as a nation? There is a penalty. And I see this. This is probably the last event we can see at least given to us in the Scripture, that those religious leaders were given the opportunity. Because at this point, because of this one man, Stephen, who was full of the Holy Spirit, he, in fact the way it's said, even in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, keep on keeping being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's like you never let anything other than the Holy Spirit fill you. And from that event, him being killed, the persecution spread the gospel outside of Jerusalem. God, in His grace, so beautifully allowed the church to begin and flourish within this very place. It was like getting a look. Okay, you didn't trust me, Jesus Christ. You didn't trust my teachings. Watch what I'll do through the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem with Jews from all over the world. Watch it. And they watched it, and they hated it, and detested it, and rejected it. And there's a price to pay for rejection. There is a price to pay. The contrast is obviously full of the spirit or full of hate. Verse 54 of Acts chapter 7, it says, When they heard these things, as he literally took the blasphemy charges against him and turned them, as we spent all last week doing, and turned them around and accused and indicted them for blasphemy and the very same things they'd accused him of. And he did it skillfully. But the word, the, probably the verse that would have really, really hit them was verse 51, Acts chapter 7. You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears, you do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did so do you. That was a verse, for, a verse to us, or a saying, a statement that would have absolutely brought all of the wrath, all of the anger out of the neighborhood right there against Stephen. Was it true? Absolutely. Their circumcision was only external. There was nothing that changed their lives or their heart. Verse 54 it says this, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. Cut to the heart. And they gnashed on him with their teeth. I can't get enough, I can't describe for you enough probably of the wrath and the anger and the malice that is being addressed to this man. Now I I saw that cut to the heart. It reminded me of a verse, maybe one that you will remember as well. Turn with me to Hebrews, to Hebrews chapter 4. This is what the Word of God literally is able to do. There's a whole lot of barriers. There's walls that are put up in, for various reasons in people's lives. But Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. That sounds like exactly what just happened there, didn't it? And when the Word of God is, 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 is put out there... That person receiving it is going to have to do something with it. Will you reject it, or we accept it? Now, what it made them was super, super mad. They were gnashing on him with their teeth. They were so enraged that literally a gnashing of the teeth would be almost like rage with frustration. They can't even do anything about it. What he's spoken is the truth. They can't deny that. And yet, they're, they're angry about it. They're so angry about it, they're literally grinding and grating their teeth. Have you ever been so mad that... Right? That's, and take that times 50, and you're getting close. They, they, and they wanted this guy out because he was the one that had, spirit, or, uh, had told the truth. Now, the truth does hurt at times, doesn't it? But I'm that kind of guy. I want to know what it is. Now I may have to sit on it for a while. I may have to think about it. I may have to see where you know, how it fits. So I've got to get it right. But I want the truth. I want to know the truth because that's the only way. the Truth will set you free. That's what Jesus said. The only way you can be free is to have the truth. Um, gnashing of their teeth that 's an interesting thing let 's take our bibles for a moment and uh, go to luke chapter thirteen it's a it's a it 's a concept or a uh, a line that 's used in regards to literally hell uh, Luke chapter thirteen verse twenty eight <clears throat> verse twenty seven but he shall say um, he 's regarding the kingdom he said i will t- I know, I know you not whence you are. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. There will shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you shall see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God and you yourselves thrust out. That's a picture of hell, honestly, the gnashing of teeth. Turn back to Matthew chapter, let's take a, couple look, a look at those. In Matthew chapter 13, verse 42. Matthew 13, verse 42. It's a picture that really describes... Uh, in hell. In verse 42, shall cast them into a furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth." Gnashing of teeth. Verse 50, same chapter, "there shall cast them in the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth." I could go on. Uh, chapter 22, let's go there just for one more. It's it's not just one place that this is stated. Uh, Matthew chapter 22 and verse 13, 22:13. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, take him away, cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There's a sense of their bitterness and hatefulness and anger. Now, one of the things that's interesting is uh, if someone ends up in hell, if they were given another chance, would they literally, would they change their mind? Would be, In other words, uh, when you're, they had a choice, just like the ones that heard Peter's first sermon, right? He said, you guys killed Jesus. And they said, same thing. Went right, convicted of their heart. What should we do? And Peter said he was actually allowed to finish. Did you notice Stephen wasn't quite done? He didn't get to the, right? They, they took it. Get him out of here. We've got we to take him out. And Peter said, repent. That is to turn directions and confess. That's the answer. Okay? And 3,000 of them did. These guys rejected to the max. Take a look at something. They say the gnashing of teeth. What Kind of a spirit, or what, what? are they actually doing? I mean, the different the different contexts that you make when they say gnashing. Their- it, it would re- it would really be uh, an unrepentance, anger against God. We'll look at it now in Revelation for a moment, because this is this is something that, um, in other words, if you were given another chance, would you get it right? Or, or here's another thing: it, think of it this way for a moment. In other words, God is reaching out in love and mercy right now, right? It's called grace. Mercy is not giving us what we deserve. Sin is rewarded by death. That's what the scripture says. Sin came upon all men for all, I'm sorry, death came upon because all have sinned. That's the facts of the matter. I can't change that. That's what happened. Thank you, Adam and Eve. And if I would have been in the garden, I would have messed it up too. But it doesn't matter. That is the truth. Okay? Are we doing that today? Is that being done today? gnashing of our teeth? I think it will answer when we get to Revelation. That, but it's a great question. Yeah. So, in other words, if God has reached out in love and mercy, what did they do? They rejected Him, right? They rejected the truth. So, do you think it's going to be different, in other words, in the face of punishment, that they would repent? The answer is no. Let's take a look. Let's go to Revelation chapter 9. We'll look at a couple of them here. Uh, Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20. Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20. There, you know, you'd have to almost, well, I'll, say, I'll save it. Let's, let's read the, the Scriptures. Uh, Revelation chapter 9 and verse 20. Hope I'm right here. Now, it's talking about the sixth trumpet. I mean, there's things that are happening. And it's, it, this, it, if you think life is tough on the planet right now, I would suggest trusting Jesus Christ right now. Get on your knees. Make Him yours now because you don't want to be here. This is rough stuff. I can't even describe it. It's, it's so horrifying. But with that, it says in verse 18, we'll just start. We're, we're, I know we're, we're not really in context. I'm trying to get you there. But Revelation chapter 9, verse 18, By these three was the third part of men killed by the fire, and by the smoke and by the brimstone which issued out of their mouths. For their power is in their mouth and in their tails. For their tails were like unto serpents, and their head heads, and with them they do hurt. I don't know where you're at with that right now. That's not good times. That is not good times. And we could, we could flesh it out and go back, but that's up to you. Maybe this afternoon go back and read Revelation chapter 9, starting verse 13. At any rate, this is judgment coming on on earth, okay? let like to take a look now and how did they respond? Verse, verse 20. The rest of the men which were not killed by these plagues yet repented not of the works of their hands that they should not worship devils and idols of gold and silver and brass and stone and of wood which neither can see or hear or walk neither repented they of their murders or of their sorceries nor their fornication nor of their... Th-. You know what it did? It didn't do anything. Let's keep going. Let's go to Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. Revelation chapter 11, verse 15. It says in eleven fifteen, "...the seventh angel sounded, there were great voices in heaven, saying, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their f- seats fell upon their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and west and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned." And the nations were angry, did you, do you see the contrast? It's those that trust God's plan and those that don't. They were angry, and thy wrath is come. And the time of the dead that they should be judged, that thou shouldest give reward unto the servants, the prophets, and to the saints. And then that fear thy name, small and great, and shouldest destroy them which destroy the earth. And the temple of God was opened in heaven. There was seen in his temple the ark of his covenant. There were lightnings and voices and thunderings and earthquake and great hail. Then turn over to chapter 16. Same book, Revelation chapter 16. And let's take a look at verses... 8, 16, verses 8 through 11. Revelation 16, verse 8. The fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun, and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. I don't know what global warming looks like today. That, my friends, is global warming. It's going to be hot enough that literally the skin will probably be burnt off in some cases. Okay. The men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God which hath power over these plagues, and they repented not to give Him glory. My point is this, if people do not repent with the message of truth, with God reeling out His grace, they will not do it in the sense of punishment. Right there in Revelation is very clear. There will be no one in hell if they were given another chance that they would turn around and literally repent. Now it may be fake, but do you not see it? It's clear. That is amazing. You have the religious leaders of Israel that have rejected and rejected and rejected and and continue to reject in the face of truth. It's no different than it is today. It's pretty sobering. Now, if you're keeping track of... Actually, I've got another verse. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 3 for a moment. I'm not sure what this is about exactly. Hebrews chapter 3, and let's take a look at verses 7 through 12. Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 12. Oh, yeah, here we go. Here we go. Uh, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 12. Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, today if you will hear His voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of the temptation in the wilderness. When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works forty years... Wherefore, I was grieved with that generation, said so they do always err in their heart, and they have not known my way. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. See, that, that is, isn't that, this is, if I was going to tell young people particularly, okay, Every time you reject Jesus Christ makes the next time easier to reject Christ. And pretty soon, your heart that's what it's saying. Your heart becomes hard. You don't even hear the message. Right now, if you were going to ask those 71 in that Sanhedrin, did they even hear truth? No, they didn't. Their ears were blocked. In fact, we'll see it. They physically closed their ears to what Stephen was saying. That's deep in the sense of rejection. Now we don't even want to know the truth. Let that register for a moment. Who wouldn't want to know the truth? Those people right there. They didn't even want to know the truth. That's hardening. You've heard hardening of the arteries? This is hardening of the heart. Serious stuff. Now, there's three people, actually, that uh, I would have to say, people given from God. Uh, The first one, I'll just help you along this, John the Baptist remember? He was the forerunner. He was the one that said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was the forerunner for who? Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus for the first time and he said, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Hadn't even had a conversation yet, but he identified through the power of the Holy Spirit that is Jesus Christ and He is the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. He's the one that's going to redeem mankind from sin. Now what happened to John the Baptist? He was beheaded. By who? By Herod. Why? Why? He he stole he stole a wife. You can say it, however you want to say it. He 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 had he he took a wife that was not supposed, that was not his lawfully. Now, the religious leaders, did they not know that? Was the scripture not clear to them? Oh, of course it was. What did they do? Absolutely nothing. So they permitted the death of John the Baptist. In fact, it seemed as such. They were actually going to, they, they actually, Herod, since he saw how much it seemed like everybody kind of enjoyed the fact that the truth giver was taken away, that he was maybe going to do that on a couple other levels. Now, the Jews at this point, and when I say Jews, I'm talking about the religious leaders, they took a step back. They weren't involved, but they didn't, they allowed it or permitted it. Now, who's the second one? Jesus Christ. Okay? Now, the very thing that Stephen is being accused of, this is like deja vu. This is like Jesus and Stephen are in the same room because they were being accused of the very same thing. Now, what did they say after they had had their six total trials in Jesus Christ's account? Every single one of them was illegal. But there was three of them, first of all, that were with the religious community. They found him guilty of blasphemy. What did they do next? We don't have the authority to kill someone or execute someone. We've got to send them to the Romans. The Romans have the authority to kill him. So literally, they not only permitted, they suggested to kill Jesus Christ. Did you see this thing here? They've rejected the truth so long, they're so mad, so taken up by rage, gnashing of their teeth, if you will, that sense of rebellious wrath that they literally killed Stephen on the spot. And they were literally killing the Holy Spirit. On every occasion we find Stephen, how is he described? Every single time. He's full of the Holy Spirit. It was like killing, it was like attempting to kill the Holy Spirit. Now, you say that's absurd. Well, of course it is. But to them, that's the gnashing of teeth. Do we have that attitude today? You better believe it. Will that continue? Absolutely, to the very end. And it will be a characteristic of those that literally are in the final hell. A gnashing of teeth. They actually experience it here in hearing the truth. And I'm not sure, again, I'm not, was there, someone, was there someone later in that group that got saved? I don't know. It, it would be by God's grace. But as a group now, that's literally the last time that I can find where the group was addressed. This is the third time with the full-blown gospel. They've rejected it, rejected it, rejected it. I can't tell you how scary that is. You don't want to go there. <laughs> Every knee will bow before Jesus Christ, it says in Philippians chapter 2. Don't test Him to that point. His love and grace, I mean amazing, right? The Jesus Christ that created everything, that was in attendance in creation, is the one that came and died for us. I don't know how much more love you could have. God is reaching out. Let's take a look at the being full again. Uh, You're in Hebrews. Turn with me back to... um, Uh, Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, Ephesians chapter five, verse eighteen. We'll get the concept again. What really it means to be filled with the Holy Ghost. Uh, We we sometimes there's there's I don't know exactly how it's there or why it's there. But for most of us, when we see when when we just have the statement they were filled with the Holy Ghost. There's something like it's just for this momentary doing some um, I don't know some stuff that's not ordinary. Okay? He, he was filled with the Holy Ghost. And depending upon, you, know, you can take that in different places of uh, doctrinal differences. Okay? But the point of the matter is, this should be the common circumstances of the character of a Christian, man or woman, that has the Holy Spirit within them. Which is every single one does, but you should be, continue to be filled and filled and filled. And you know what that means? This is really key. Controlled by, to be dominated by the Holy Spirit. It's not just being filled with, but to be controlled by. That's why, as I talk about uh, Jim Elliott and, and this uh, Nate Saint's son, Steve, I mean, their response to a persecution, aside from being filled with the Holy Ghost, it couldn't happen. It, it's, it's outside of us. We are a new creature, literally, in Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit changes you when you're controlled by Him. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, it says, Be not, I'm I'm gonna say this, be not controlled with wine wherein is excess, but be controlled with the Spirit. See, I just use the word controller because that's what I want you to do. It's like in a car, when you have the steering wheel, you're in control. That's how the Holy Spirit wants to drive you, if you will, where he wants you to go. How easy is that? Ooh, I'm getting blank stares right now. It's just like, let's not talk about that right now. Let's not, you know, it's, it's yieldedness, isn't it? You're saying yes to the Holy Spirit. When, when that truth comes across your radar, like right now, see, that Holy Spirit was in that room in the Sanhedrin saying, that's the truth. You did kill the Messiah. Jesus was the Messiah. No yieldedness there. Walls of stone go up. Resistance, rebellion. That's why, you know, if you go to the Proverbs and places, it says what things God hates. There's one of them he mentions twice. Just in case you missed it the first time on the list, he mentions it again, and it is? Pride. And pride, both of those go together. And you, you look at Satan. Look at Satan. He's a liar, father of lies, and he's the most prideful being there ever was. Guess what's not room if you are full of pride? There's no room for God. It's all about self. You're self-filled or you're spirit-filled. What did we say about filling? Controlled by. Controlled by self. How do you be controlled by self is pride. Show me someone that's arrogant and really prideful. I will show you someone we don't want to be around a lot, right? And you will find somebody that is very controlled by whatever makes them feel good. That sounds like in the United States. Everything's about me, isn't it? It's the me. How to to look out for number one. Those are best-selling books in the New York Times, right? How to look out for number one that would be self. Those five missionaries that were killed in 1956, you know who they were looking out for? Their self wasn't even in their equation. It wasn't even in the statements. How does God want to impact this world? What does he want me to do to be part of that? Now, this victory lap that Stephen's about to take, he is moments away from being dead, physically dead. And we see that as a, almost like a barrier or a I'm not coming up with the right word here. It's not a barrier. It's, um, it's a downer. I mean, you know, you, you face physical death. You know, it's just a transfer. The bigger transfer is to go from being without Christ to Christ. These that stone Stephen are the ones that died that day. There's another level of spiritual death. Stephen... <laughs> he looks up into heaven, and you know what? He didn't look down, he didn't look sideways, he looked up. you got a big, fat problem, and you are on the edge of who knows what? Look up. Where were the disciples looking in Acts chapter 1, verse 8 and 9? They looked up as Jesus was leaving. Look up. Your problems get smaller as you look up. But just think of this. He looked up, and he sees Jesus Christ standing at the right hand of God. Now, where did we see Jesus in a different posture He's seated in the sense of redemption. That work, in other words, he did his work on the cross, he paid the price, and he sat down at the right hand of God. But Stephen, right now, he is in need. He's standing up, and literally, Stephen saw him as receiving him. He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Isn't that, that's, that is so cool? The death to Stephen was just, it said he fell asleep. Now, we see the rocks and being pelted and the pain and anguish and that stuff. Just the way that's written, I'm not going to say there was no pain. Don't, because let's talk about stoning for a moment. We're about to get there. Uh, The stoning procedure would have been, they would have taken him outside the city. That's in in Leviticus chapter 24, I think, verse 14. They have to go outside the camp. So they did that right. So far, they got one thing right. This guy is blasphemy, which he was not blaspheming. But in the case he would have been, we're going to do it in the right place. (laughs) Right? We're just going to make up the rules, but we're going to go to the right place. Hmm. Okay? So you go outside of the city, outside of the camp. Now, there would have had to have been what would call I would call it a 10-foot precipice. Okay? In other words, original, Now he had to have at least two or three witnesses to declare and to, to say in unison of the things that this blasphemous charge could be warranted. And it sounds like they actually paid these guys. They found somebody that wanted a little bit of money, some bribery, or whatever you want to say. You say this, and life gets better. But here's the one reason behind that. I don't know if you knew this or not. It's not just a matter of taking this man in this case, and throwing them off the precipice, and the whole congregation started stoning them. Oh, no, it wasn't that way. It put responsibility on those witnesses. What happens is, is this, and it had to be two, basically two times the height of the man, or of the, of, the, of the person, that they would throw them off. And guess who threw them off? The first witness would have been face down onto, the, onto this, this precipice. Okay? Then, if that person would die from the fall it's over. Now you can tell that didn't happen. Then what happened after that is once they were on the bottom, someone would turn them over face up. Ten feet above the second witness, not just a person. The witnesses are involved really literally in casting the first stones or the first levels of punishment in this case. That person then, if the person was still alive, would take a large rock and would throw it on their heart. If they still survived, then the entire congregation, the group that's there, would literally just throw stones until that person was dead. Now, we can tell from Stephen's demise that literally he would have not been killed from the fall, he would have not been killed from the first blow from the rock, because guess what they were doing? They were so enraged. This, this is sick. They were so enraged that they took their, clothes, their, their, their coats off and laid them at Saul's feet, which I believe is the instigator, so they could actually probably throw harder and faster. That's the enragement of rejection. And in all of that, Now, I've I've given you that as a background. Now, let's watch it from Stephen's perspective and start look at contrasts again. We look at spirit-filled to hate-filled. We're going to look at the difference between love and hate. Let's watch Stephen. I don't know what you would do, and, and you can't be in that position. But one of the things I'm convinced of, when are we the strongest? You guys can answer that question. When are you the strongest? When we're weak, Right. There's only been a few people that have been able to look and see into heaven. Ezekiel, Isaiah, Paul, there may be a few others, but I'm thinking of those. Remember when Paul was able to see into the third heaven? It talks about it in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 or 12, right? And he saw stuff that nobody saw. Can you imagine having seminars? Put in the newspaper, the Jerusalem Times. Come and see Paul speak about heaven, which he, was, he saw it in its fullest form. Let him speak to you and see your most amazing, the spectacle of heaven to be unrolled in front of you. God said, you know what, I love you more than that. Here, I'm going to give you a little, a little thorn in the flesh, right? How many of you guys like thorns in the flesh? I don't even like a little pebble in my boot. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it amazing how you can have a little piece of sand and the thing is driving you nuts. you your—you got to find it, right? You can be so involved in everything. You, and that's what the thorn in the flesh did. It literally would take the attention off, break the pride cycle, and say, you know What? And what did Paul do? He prayed three times to have it removed. We don't know exactly what it was. Some have said eye problems. Who knows? But the point of the matter was it was enough that Paul three times sought the Lord God to take it away. And no, he said, my grace is sufficient for you. And then he said something. Let's let's read this because I know it's a familiar passage, but this is really the key to all of this. And if you're concerned about being in a pickle, a real spot of where potentially your life even taken, that I'm convinced that you get a double portion, if you will, because when you're the weakest, you're the strongest, if you will. Um, where did I tell you to go? I just completely lost my mind. Second Corinthians, there we go. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I think we'll try that. And at the first part of that's so again, a Sunday afternoon read for you. You can start in verse 1 and see what he was given the opportunity to. But let's go to verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelation, this dream, this vision that he saw of heaven, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, three times, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. In weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and necessities and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. You know what made Stephen the strongest? Because he was in a most vulnerable position now let's go back and read this account now. I've, I've laid some groundwork for you. Now let's go back to Acts chapter seven, and let's, I'm going to start again in verse 54. Watch it unfold. You just look at these contrasts and watch what takes place. When they heard these things, they were cut to the heart. They gnashed on him with their teeth, and he, but, but he, being full of the Holy Ghost, do you see the contrast right there? Anger and, and full, of, full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said, Behold, I see the heavens open. Now he's speaking this to the group. This isn't going to make it better, by the way, either. (laughs) I see the heavens open, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice, and stopped their ears, and ran upon him with one accord, and cast him out of the city, and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. There's a lot of things taking place there. But just look at the contrast. It's literally the contrast between heaven and hell, is it not? Right there in that one man's life the first martyr that's for Christianity, and literally the gospel now is about to explode. About to explode. You know what brought those Akha Indians to Jesus Christ? It was the persecution, the death of those five. You know what they did? They went back to the village, those, the ten warriors, and every other time there had always been retribution. And they went back, and they burned their village and went deeper into the jungle. You know what didn't happen? There was no retribution. There was just further love and further grace. I think Steve Steve will talk about this, but hurt people hurt. Isn't that true? Mm -hmm. Especially young people. Mm -hmm. Someone that's been hurt deeply, they want to hurt because that's the only thing they know. You know what changes that? The blood of Jesus Christ. Turn with me now. I'm just thinking of 2 Corinthians chapter... Where are you at? You're in Acts. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And let's look at, look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. To it that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself, bringing back to Himself, not imputing their trespasses unto Him, unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's dead, be reconciled to God, for He hath made Him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. It's amazing what happens when Jesus Christ takes a hold of one's life. It changes from the inside. Totally changes from the inside. Did you notice the sense of spiritual sight? That's, can you imagine looking into heaven and seeing Jesus Christ? There's stories of youngsters, you know, five, six, seven years old, and I, I'm not picking anyone in particular, that, you know, through whatever, whatever means, whatever thing is, is plaguing them, they're very close to the door of death, and they'll say to their parents, to their grandparents, Mommy, I see Jesus, and he's got his arms open. You, you think that's a figment of their imagination? Of course not. That's exactly what Stephen saw. That's the Jesus Christ that you've trusted as Savior. He's he's not sitting any longer. He's literally standing wanting to receive you. The love of God is amazing. But did you see the spiritual blindness? When you reject the truth long enough, it consumes you. He looked up. Let's go to Mark chapter 14, verse 62. The word he used was son of man. Now that's just, if you were talking about turning the dial up on the furnace to a higher level of gnashing of teeth, that'll get it done. Because there's a statement that would be connotated with that. Let's go to, um, what did I just tell you? Mark chapter 14, verse 62. Mark 14, verse 62. 14, 60, whoops, I'm in Matthew, that's not going to work. Matthew, I'll be there, just go and hang out for me. Matt, Mark, there we go. Good grief. Mark 6, 14, verse sixty-two. Now this is the trial before Caiaphas. Okay, these are the trials of Jesus Christ. Uh, just watch this. This is, this is pretty cool. The high priest, this is verse sixty. The high priest stood up in the midst, asked Jesus, answering, Answer some nothing? What is it which these witnesses against thee? I mean, what are you going to just sit there? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him, and he said, Are you the Christ? the Messiah, the Son of the Blessed. And Jesus said, I am, and you shall see the Son of Man. Did you see that? That's the same term that Stephen said. He said, the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And they lost it. That was where they totally lost it, and they said, crucify this Jesus. Guess what Stephen said? I see the Son of Man, which means the Messiah. (laughs) If you thought they were mad before, they are over the top seething, Seething with anger. Whew. Resist, resist, resist. There's an interesting thing. Uh, you're, you're still in Mark, right? Turn with me to Mark chapter 5 for a moment. And as you're turning there, uh, in verse 57, I'll read it. Don't, don't go back to Acts, I'll read it for you. Acts chapter 7, verse 57 it says Then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped theirs, and ran upon him with one accord that uh, ran, okay? Mark chapter 5 and verse 13. Mark chapter 5 and verse 13. Now, you remember Jesus, Gadarenes. there was the demon-possessed man, and he, so we'll let's just start in verse 8. He said unto him, "'Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit.' Okay? And he, and he asked him, "'What is thy name?' And he answered, saying, "'My name is Legion, for we are many.' And he besought him much that he would not send them away into the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine, and the herd ran violently. That is exactly the same Greek word as it was for those men running at Stephen. It's exactly the same word. And I'm afraid to say it's exactly the same influence. Two thousand. I've not seen two thousand pigs in a group. I don't think. Have you? Anybody seen two thousand pigs in a group? Yes, I have. Have you? Yeah. Okay. Were they big? Were they little? Sweet life. Sweet life. Yeah. Two thousand. Okay. Now, now, so Paul's got it in his mind. You have it in your mind, but it's not nightmare. To, it's a. nightmare. It is a nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> it is a nightmare. But just think of this for a moment. So you got two thousand pigs, and they're obviously probably large. You know, they're not just little uh, piglets, right? These are. These are. They're, they're all. You know, doing their thing, eating, grazing, or whatever. And it says that this legion, so think of this, there had to be a whole lot more than a few because 2,000 pigs ran violently off the cliff and drowned in the sea. That is the exact same Greek word that's used as they ran towards Stephen. Not only did they reject truth, they're being influenced by the enemy. Whoa. 2,000 of them, Paul. What what'd you do with those? How's that? How, what would you do with that all was those? stuck here in South St. Paul. All right. They were, they were to be killed. <laughs> that's a lot. They're a fat hog. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. We had 100 Sal Pharaoh to finish, and that was about 200 too many. <laughs> at any rate. Okay, back to the, back to the, to the story at hand. Um, contrast, what did we talk about? We talked about spirit-filled versus hate-filled. We talked about sight. It would be blind versus real sight. We talked about love versus hate. It was really life versus death. They thought they were killing Stephen, but they were really killing themselves. We talked about the stoning. Um, let's go to, let's go to uh, John chapter 11 for a moment. These are Jesus' words talking about life. John chapter 11 and take take a peek here, verse twenty five. Now Lazarus, another example of where things went wrong, if you will. If you were Mary and Martha, let's just set that up for a moment. Uh, so Mary and Martha and their and their brother Lazarus, and they had sent word to Jesus that their brother is really sick, really sick, like really sick, and you need to come immediately. And it said that Jesus lingered; he sort of like took his time, rather than run right over to the Bethany. It's almost like, hey guys. Let's, uh, let's just relax for a little bit. Really, that's what, it, that's what the text says. Now, what if he would have ran right over there and Lazarus hadn't died? Yeah, no big deal, right? He's done a lot of that stuff. He waited until he was literally dead. And not just died today, he waited until it was definitely death. Like he didn't wake up, right? Mary and Martha. How would you like to have been them? Where's Jesus? where's Jesus? Have you ever asked, Where's, where's God right now? I've got a real problem. Where's He at? Who knows what He's going to do with that problem? Look what He did with Stephen now. It seems tragic, but you know what? That opened the mind, the, the, the missionary field to everything that ever happened after that. You know what they would have done in Jerusalem if there had been no persecution? They just stayed in Jerusalem. <laughs> we don't like to change. How many of you like to change? My mother was, she was. She never liked to move, okay. And if you were married to my father, you moved a lot. It seemed like. But you know what? It was it was amazing. I watched my mom, and she said, oh, "I, you know, she, oh, I don't really want to go. This is, you know, my this, I, I, this is home, right? And it's my friends, and I, and it's you got to do new stuff. And she liked to just stay where she was. That's just who she was. She had that homing instinct. Okay. Are you guys like that? Boy, no, you just aren't going to engage. You're gonna okay. <laughs> Okay, I'm trying, trying. But my dad, now he was an adventurous type. I got a little of that. That's in my DNA a little bit. Show me a challenge, show me somewhere, I'm ready to go. It's just what I am, right? So a little bit of, and it was never a conflict because this is the really cool thing about my mother was that when it was determined and we're going to go, they went and it was amazing. She would just settle right in. This was the new home. We're going we're to make new friends. We're gonna, and it didn't take any time at all, but she was almost fearful of the change, right? That's much the same way when God is calling us to new steps in your journey. Mary and Martha, if you'd have asked them, where's Jesus? I mean, we got the word out to him. Our brother's going to die. In fact, he did die. If only Jesus had been. That's exactly how they met met him on the road. Oh, if you'd only been here. And he says, no, no. God's going to be glorified beyond what you can even comprehend. And within a few minutes, guess what? Your dead brother, who is the fourth day, he comes walking out of the tomb alive. Now, that's a bigger deal than getting them out of a flu, right? God was glorified. They were blessed. But Jesus said something. This is what we want to look at. John chapter 11. Let's take a look at verses. Uh, oh, let's see. Oh, I'm in 10. That's not, I'm not going to find what I'm looking for there. Um, okay, verse, verse 21. Chapter 11, John. Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if thou hast been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever thou wilt ask of God, God will give thee. And that was more of a little caption, kind of like a, you know, a cliche. Yeah, you know, we believe in him. You can do anything. How many times have you said that? Remember what the angel told Mary? She's going to have a baby and she's a virgin? That's a little impossible. He said, with God, nothing's impossible. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that? Watch what he says. Verse 23, Jesus said unto her, Thy brother shall rise again. I'll tell you how much she, Martha said unto him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die, believeth thou this. That is a perfect caption to Stephen's martyrdom. He really never died. He just transferred. He's literally, in, 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 I don't know, that split second, he's in this precipice being stoned, and in the next second, or part thereof, he is right there with Jesus Christ. And guess who died further that day were the ones that were stoning him. Now, Saul, do you think he was any less miserable than a person on the planet could ever possibly be? He was zealous, prideful, self-righteous, lost as could be. But I'm convinced that Stephen was the, was the impact that, need, that Saul needed. So, when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, it all started to make sense. Stephen's martyrdom changed the world. Changed the world. Receive my spirit. Go to Second Corinthians chapter five, verse eight. On that moment, his spirit was with God. Now his body was buried, we read that, but his spirit, the real Stephen, was instantly in the arms of Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse eight. Paul wrote this uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians chapter five and verse eight, it says, "For we are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord." Exactly right. No gap in time for Stephen, instantly in the arms of Jesus Christ. The same mob that hated him, Stephen, the reason was is because they hated Jesus. They hated Stephen because they hated Jesus. Take a look at Romans chapter 1 verse 16. Romans chapter 1 and verse 16 the power of God, the power of the gospel, the change that can take place. Verse 16, chapter 1 of Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, the power of God to salvation, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Guess who wrote that? Paul. (laughs) And right here, he was the instigator of killing Stephen because Paul wrote Romans. He said it's the power of God unto salvation. chapter 8, verse 1, it says that Paul was consenting unto his death. He was happy about it, if you will. It says there was a great persecution against the church, which was Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. The apostles stayed Kind of holding the foundation to Jerusalem, in Jerusalem, if you will. And it says devout men. That's not saved men. These are just people that watched the injustice that was done. Because I have you you have to, you absolutely have to say this. They had no right to put this man to death because they knew they couldn't put Jesus to death. And in such an enraged, rabid, oh my goodness. I can't you just go to the nth degree that you can possibly think of enragement and frustration by not doing they literally just stoned a man illegally. They had no right to do that under the power of the Romans. It says, Saul made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committing them to the prison. And if you were going to ask, what's the future of Paul, or Saul, I'm sorry, what would you say the future of Saul is if you were a Christian living and you slip into those sandals, go to bed at night, and you know somebody's going to be chasing you tomorrow, his name is Saul? You'd say, if somebody would have told you what we know today, oh, he's going to have a turnaround. You're not going to believe what Saul becomes. He's going to turn into Paul, and he's literally going to be the greatest apostle for the Lord Jesus Christ. You are crazy, right? Talk about impossibilities. He would be the impossible. He's too far gone. He's too, 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 right? But he was still searching for God. There's a part of you, you can see that. In fact, let's go to, uh, let's take a look at this. I think it's right. I'm going to go first and see if I find it. I think, let's go to John 16, 2. I don't know if it's related. It's related to the, to the lesson, but maybe it's not what I'm looking for. Oh, yeah, yeah. This, is, is this not Paul? I mean, let's, let's look at it. This is Jesus' words. Uh, John chapter 16, verse 2. He's speaking of what's going to come in their lives. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you Will think that he doeth God's service. That's pretty much what Saul is thinking, isn't it? He, he's, he's on board. Let's get rid of these losers. That's the problem. They're a scourge to all of us. Absolutely. Look at his zealousness. Uh, Paul, let's go. Or Saul, I'm sorry. I keep calling him that. I'm glad when he got changed to, to Paul. He needed a name change, didn't he? How would you overcome Saul, right? He needed to be a new creature, yes, internally, but also externally. He had such a reputation. Galatians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. 13 and 14. For you have heard of my conversation in time past in the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, havoced it, and profited in the Jews' religion above many, my equals in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers. That's exactly who he was. That's who he was. He brought a game every day to do what he thought was right. Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 4, verses 8 through 12. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 8. We are troubled on every side, yet not... Now, this is written by the same guy that has been passing out persecution. He's on the other side of it. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body of the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto the death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. He really was partaking of the very things that he was dishing out. That change come as a result of Stephen. You guys want to listen to the... me were you able to load that clip? Yeah. Okay. You guys okay? It's like seven and a half minutes. Now, again, the background to this, the man speaking, is, his name is Steve Saint. His father, Nate Saint, was the one that was killed January 8th. Part of the five-member crew. He was a pilot that had signed up for uh, to, to be a you know, an aviation pilot for missionaries. Okay. Uh, Jim Elliott would be part of this. Now, where it goes, you're going to see a man that traveled actually through the through the United States that was part of this tribe that killed his father, and he was interviewed, that the journalist just could not fathom it. That's the outstanding love of our Lord Jesus Christ. So with that, go ahead. We just, if, and I've said it, I've said it, I don't know, hundreds of times, whatever. You read chapter 7 and the first part of chapter 8 of Acts, and you, What is God doing? This guy was so amazing. Why didn't he have him on earth for that, you know, whatever, for 78 years? Uh, Jim Elliot was 28 years old when he was killed. Nate Saint was 32, left a family behind. It seems so not right. One day, we're going to understand all Stephen died at exactly the right time. He transferred from a life on earth instantly into his Savior's arms. A man by the name of Paul, Saul at that time, became changed, I'm convinced, because of what he saw in that man, Stephen. How would you as killing that man that day as he's kneeling, he somehow got enough strength after being pummeled to kneel. And it says, he looked up into heaven. He said, lay not this sin to their charge. That must have reverberated through Paul's mind from that day forward. That's a God thing. That's what needs to happen to America. That's what needs to happen to families. Because that's the future. It's not about politics. It's not about power. It's not about wealth. You can't explain that. And that's why I worship God. Because He's above and beyond my understanding. Praise Him. Let's pray. Father God, thank You for Your love. Thank You for Your grace. For You reaching out to each one. You've said that God would that all would come to repentance. Not everyone will, obviously, Father. We've, we looked at a very large contrast between those religious leaders that continue to reject truth, to reject truth, to reject truth. Israel as a whole was set aside. Yes, there are still a, a, a small number, Father, that are coming to you, that are seeing Jesus as Messiah. But the tribulation period at the end of that, literally that nation will see you through Jesus Christ the Messiah for who you are. Those promises that you laid out in the Old Testament will, in fact, come to fruition. Their hearts will be changed. Father, I pray for the nation, of our, our nation, America, and for Israel, and across the entire world, Father, that men, women, and children would find Jesus Christ. And I should have said it differently, that Jesus Christ would find them, that the Holy Spirit would knock on their door, heart's door. And Father, we know that we just read it today, Hebrews 4.12, that it literally the Word of God Cuts to the dividing asunder, to the very depths of their heart. Just as those men on that day were cut to the heart but rejected truth, Father, may men, women, and children receive the truth gladly, seeing the Savior that's been provided, the sin sick condition that Jesus Christ died for. Father, thank you for the day. Encourage our hearts, allow us to see you through all of these different problems and turmoil. All the things that are taking place in our world, you were above it, you were beyond it, you were, over the power, you were overpowering of all of it. Jesus Christ died to accomplish what needs to be done. This week, Father, all of these that are gathered, we would ask that you would take their steps, make them your steps as they yield to the Spirit, that they would be controlled and dominated by the Holy Spirit. Father, may you guide and direct them, lead them where you want them to go. For, Father, that's where we want to live. In Christ's name.